Well, if I could live up to half of that, I'd be just happy as I could be. Several years ago, I was on a missions trip to Grenada. And I think there was 10 or 12 people, and all the men on the missions, mission trip were married except one young guy. And he was sweet on a girl in my church. And in my mind's eye, I'm thinking, they're going to get married for sure. Well, I preached, uh, I don't know how many times, and we put on a vacation Bible school, and we built a house. And at night, uh, we did some preaching, but we probably had four or five nights where we weren't busy, and we played uh, euchre. And one night, uh, the men are sitting around playing euchre, and Joel asked us married guys a very, very good question. He said, why don't you train your woman to do what you want before you get married? And one of the other guys said, you're in for some really big surprises, my man. And I said, you are further behind the eight ball than I thought you were. Well, now they've been married about 10 years now. And John has learned the significance of our answers to his question. He understands. But that being said, marriage is God's best idea. Now, I have a little bit of a disclaimer here today that I just, we're talking about marriage, and I want you to know I recognize a couple things. There are some folks here whose mate has passed away, and you're content living the single life. And we, we rejoice with you in that choice. There are some who are divorced, and, and you're still struggling with the pain of that. And so God is still working his journey and plan through you. Um, but I don't want to let that stop us from rejoicing in marriage, and neither do you want that to happen. And my third disclaimer is that St. Paul said that the single life is a very, very high calling. But he's careful to remind us, but not many can really do that. God's helped me to do it. But he said, most of you should and will get married. And so that's why we are where we are today and to praise God for what he's doing. Now, does this show up on the back screen? Mine show up on the back screen? Okay, that's fine. Oh, I got to point it this way. Right click? Okay. Yeah. So Genesis chapter 2 verse 18 says this. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. <clears throat> I'll make a helper suitable for him. Now this is my interpretation of the same verse. Adam is not going to do very good on his own. He needs somebody to be together with. <laughs> now that's not the King James, but that is the gospel according to Mark Bailiff. Now, uh, John, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to click, and then you just give me a little nod that it actually changed. Did it change? Okay. It didn't. Okay, it just take me a few minutes to get used to this. It's all good. To define our word together today, in the dictionary it means to be in close relationship, and that's obvious, isn't it? But the Old Testament word for together means to become united, to be a unit, or to be or become one. And the New Testament word for this word um, together is to cooperate. Now, the way I look at that is this. It's not cooperate, like, would you please do what I ask you to do? Cooperation in that sense. But it's like two surgeons working on the same patient, and they're both working together and 
you know, doing the whole thing. And that's what together really is. It's cooperating, and it means companion or co-worker. Now, the verses I'm going to share with you today uh, are, are just real obvious, ones you've heard before. Not working, John. Let's try this on for a second. Yeah, okay. Matthew 19, 6 says, So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, God has joined together as companions cooperating, becoming one, and let not man separate. Now, the same idea is found in Mark cha- Mark's gospel, chapter number 10, verse 9. What therefore God has joined together, let, non put, let, let not man put asunder. Now, that's in the King James. And the word asunder there uh, also means to separate. But it's more than that. And I want to digress in just a little sidebar for just a moment. Having pastored for about 40 years and walked the journey with countless people, and unfortunately many of them who went through divorces, uh, what I found was that this word asunder fit divorce pretty well. Because the, the biblical word, the King James word asunder, means literally to pry apart the laminated uh, layers of like plywood. And it just tears it apart. Try to take a piece of, of a string board or plywood and take a hammer and try to pry it all apart. That's the picture of divorce. And that's why it's so painful. And that's why God says, what I've put together, don't let anyone take the hammer to it and pull it all apart and just destroy it. Don't let anybody separate it. Big, important biblical word. Now, it leads me to a question, and I I kind of approach things this way. Let's find out what the question is and then try to answer it. Why is together better? And I want to give you three reasons quickly today, and here's the first. R1 is reason one. Without together, selfishness would be king of our lives. Without together, we would only be concerned about ourselves. Now, again, I want to give a disclaimer here. I do not want to imply that people who choose the single life, or you've been through divorce and you're single at this point and don't do or don't plan to get married again, or whatever, I'm not saying that you're automatically branded with the selfish brand out of a hot fire. I'm not saying that at all. But generally speaking, um, it's very possible that if we didn't have the together thing, then selfishness would reign as king. Now, I'm not going to ask you to open to it because it's just, it's long, but I'm going to just summarize it for just a moment. Ephesians chapter 5 is probably the very best portion of Scripture about marriage in all the Bible. And St. Paul said this, Husbands, you are to love your wives sacrificially and unconditionally, just as Christ loves the church, right? And then he says, Wives, you are to be in submission to your husband just as the body of Christ is to be in submission to the head of the church, which is Christ. And it says, husbands, love your wives as yourselves. And then it says, and wives, respect your husbands. These things I share with you, they're not out of a book. They're just so obvious from living life. But the number one killer of intimacy is busyness, is busyness. 
And the number one killer of relationships is selfishness. Almost every, and I, I go through this with, the, uh, with couples getting ready to get married, and I, just, I said there's five steps that a relationship goes through as it falls apart. Every relationship starts with cooperation. And then somebody feels their needs aren't going to be met, and so they manipulate. Anybody that's manipulated does what? They retaliate. And then when they retaliate, there's going to be isolation and then separation. And inevitably, those five steps happen in every person's life. And what happens most of the time is all healthy relationships start out with cooperation. Somebody manipulates. The other person retaliates. They look at each other and says, what's wrong with us? We love each other. I'm sorry. Somebody gets unselfish and says, I'm sorry. And then you build back to cooperation. But if you don't, you end up in isolation, and you end up separated. I tell the story in my premarital counseling, and after I've shared these five steps, and I show the, the visual picture of a family sitting around a table, a husband and a wife are so far gone that they ask the children to pass the food through and not even ask, tell your mom I want the potatoes. She, they don't even speak to each other. And it's been this way a long time, and I said, what, uh, one night, the, the wife just got up and took the, I mean, the husband got up and took the bowl of potatoes, walked to the end and dumped it on her head. And I look at this young couple that's not married yet, and I said, what do you think happened? And, well, she probably picked up the gravy, and she probably threw something at him. They all say the same thing, and I said, oh, no, no. She's in isolation. There's nothing he can do to hurt her any deeply. And so she got up and walked out of the room. You see, selfishness is the number one destroyer of a relationship. And that's why Paul says, men, I'm going to ask you to do the most difficult thing you can, and that's be unselfish and love your wife as, as the wife loves, as Christ loves the church. And ladies, I'm going to ask you to do something that's difficult, very difficult, and not in your nature, and that is to be in submission to your husband as the church is in submission to its head, Jesus Christ. But when a relationship isn't having intimacy because of busyness, and I, I like how the Spanish language talks about busyness, uh, it says, busy, occupied, taken, engaged, or kept. And this is what happens when a relationship starts to fall apart because of, of this type of selfishness. And the Bible tells us very clearly that selfishness would reign as king were it not for the living Christ in the relationship of marriage. Now reason number two that uh, together is better is that without together, stress would be unmanageable. The surgeries of our children, and some of you ladies that are, you're not kids and you're in high school anymore, but John told me about some of the major surgeries that you went through and, and how many times I've gone to the bedside of someone who's had a heart attack, open heart surgery, or cancer, whatever it might be, uh, the surgeries of our wife, husband, or children, and, and I think, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I'm together and not facing this alone, right? While I was pastoring at Union Chapel in Lima, middle of the night, three or four o'clock in the morning, <clears throat> got a phone call from the emergency room at Lima Memorial Hospital and said, Mr. Bailiff, your, your son 
Joe is here. He's been in a very, very bad accident. We need you to come right now. And my first words were, is he still alive? And she wouldn't answer me. She just said, I need you to come right now. And as we went to the end of our road to turn left, I looked to the right, and there was the accident scene. He had hit a tree at 80 miles an hour, went off a curve, hit a tree at 80 miles an hour, hit it so hard that it, it broke the whole dashboard away from the, the, the unibody of the car. And the young man beside him got a, a cut on his head so bad, he nearly died. Joe broke his, his back, and, and he broke his ankle, and all kinds of bruises and cuts and nasty stuff. And so that night, we went to the hospital, and I realized he'd been drinking, unfortunately, and hit that tree at 60 miles an hour. And as I stood there holding his hand, looking down in his eyes, I realized I took Dinah's hand. And I said, I'm so glad I'm not alone in this circumstance and that we're together, that we're together. Because the stress is so unmanageable when that happens. Reason number three why together is better is because without together, times of loss would totally overwhelm us. My mom died about a year ago. My dad died almost four years ago. I lost two administrative assistants, one to a massive heart attack in her early 50s and another uh, that had cancer for the third time, and of course I did their funerals. I did the funerals for my mom and dad. In 2004, my brother Steve, uh, on my brother Jeff's birthday, got on his motorcycle and, and rode out toward one of the big lakes in our area, and a man pulled out in front of him, and he hit him, and he died on, on the spot. And I was at the church. We'd gone to a, on a missions trip to Mexico. And I was there with a whole bunch of people who were going to show slides. And the phone rang and somebody came and got me. And it was my sister and said, our brother Steve was killed this afternoon. Mom and Dad were there. It was my job to take them out of that meeting and upstairs to a private room. And Mom looked at me and said, which one is it? And I said, it's Steve, Mom. He's killed on a motorcycle this afternoon. Close friends I've buried, physical changes, jobs, times of loss would overwhelm us. But together, we're not overwhelmed. We have someone. It was God's greatest idea. Marriage is God's best and greatest idea. Now, I have a philosophy of life that's not totally biblical. Now, you might say, then why would you tell us? <laughs> Number one, I believe in the providence of God, but I also believe that sometimes you get the bear and sometimes the bear gets you. Paulette said it, John has said it several times this weekend, there are things we do not understand. And we may, may not before we leave this life. But it doesn't matter because we live underneath the providential care of our God and we recognize though it may feel like, well, the bear got me that time. But sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, and you chalk all that up to the thing we call life and how much better it is to live it together because without that, the times of loss would overwhelm us. If you have your Bibles today, I'm just going to take you to one other place, and that is in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, verses uh, 9 through, through 12. And uh, I could have put it up on the screen, but I'd like you to just read it with me today. And then we'll bring our thoughts to conclusion and move another direction. You know, the, you know the scripture if I say Ecclesiastes 4. You know what it is before I even read it. But why is together better? 
<clears throat> well, we've given you three reasons, and this kind of fills out this idea uh, pretty well. This is not necessarily about marriage. This, this describes Jonathan and Paulette and me and my wife. It describes your friends, but it's especially true in marriage. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, and we'll just read a few verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Pity the man or woman who is truly alone. That's why together is better. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. I always look for quotes that kind of help us <coughs> see things that God intended for the message. Many of you, I'm sure, are aware of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, but his wife, Susanna, quoted and said this, It is a mercy that our lives are not left for us to plan, but that our Father chooses for us, else might we sometimes turn away from our best blessings and put, us, and put from us the choicest and lovely gifts of His providence. So John comes to Calvary Assembly with his singing group, and there's this brunette. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit more in the vows. <clears throat> and we look back on 40 plus years, almost 42 years now, whatever it is, and, and I can't help but think, well, how did John end up there, and how did Paulette end up there? He looks at her and she looks at him, and there's a tendency to say, well, look what they did. But until you read this, you don't come to the right conclusions. And that is in God's providence, he asked me to speak at the football, before the football game. Divine providence that I said, John, why don't you come and sing and minister and combine the two youth groups there. It's divine providence that as he's singing, his eye keeps looking back to this and by the way, I think Paulette is hot. Okay? She's a hottie. And I want you to know, I'm a man, and I know these things. Okay? She's a hottie. She's more hot now than she was 40 years ago. I'm just telling you, that's the way it is. But John, he's just 40. <clears throat> he's just 40. But he looks over at this skinny senior in high school, and something goes off in his heart and his mind, he can't keep his eyes off of her. We see God in his providential care brought them together that night, and then on a first date, and then a proposal, and then a wedding which I got to be a part of, and now 40 years later, we're all here. It's not just because we were friends, we became friends by his providential care. And both of, I, both of us have gone through breaking experiences in our lives where we could have easily given up, easily not been in ministry the rest of our lives. And instead, in God's providential care, he gave me a Jonathan and Jonathan gave him a Mark and, and many others like that. A couple Wednesdays ago, oh, by the way, I'm a school bus driver. 
<clears throat> and I've been driving three years, and I have the type of route that's out in the country. Now, <clears throat> some of you know this very well, and, you, and your kids, or maybe you drove bus, but a lot of our routes are you go to intersection after intersection, you might pick up six, eight, ten kids. Well, mine are picking one up at a time, or family one at a time. And almost my whole route is uh, out in the country, uh, almost exclusively. And two weeks ago Wednesday, we had tremendous rain and thunder and lightning. And as the lightning crashes, I'm thinking, my little people, I'm talking about my kindergartners through third, fourth grade, and they're the only ones on the bus. We run two routes, and I had my little people first. And I'm thinking, man, these kids are going to be afraid. And all of a sudden, it lightning hit, and the bus was filled with light. Just like you'd turned up intensive flashlight on on the inside. And I'm thinking, my kids are going to go gaga. And in our system, I'm Mr. Mark, and if your name's Judy, you're Miss Judy, and all that kind of stuff. And I thought they are going to start crying. But here's what they did. They said, oh, wow. And then they said, oh, look at that one. And then they said, I wonder what's coming next. And I think of John and Paulette. Oh, wow. What's coming next? That was great. Though you've had it said to you in many ways today, I want to say congratulations, Pastor and Paulette, for 40 years and counting. For 40 years and counting. Together is better. Amen.